This is the Run Matters Podcast, brought to you by Skechers Performance. Go like never before. Welcome to episode three of the Run Matters Podcast, presented by Skechers Performance. I'm Mark Sullivan, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Neil Schwartz, and we have a Happy Holidays special inspiration episode of Run Matters. Mark, you know, we all need a little bit of inspiration around the holidays for sure. And uh, 2020 has really created a scenario where we probably need, you know, more inspiration that we normally need during this time of year. Uh, Mark, what is it that inspires you? Well, let me just pick up on what you were saying 2020 what a year that has tried uh, the souls and spirits of uh, of people and of runners and uh, before we got started this morning I was talking to Brad our producer I had just I was a little late this morning because I was working out with my trainer I find my trainer inspiring she is physically just a specimen she's got a wonderful optimistic spirit about her she's a cancer survivor and, you know, uh, every time she comes to my house and we work out, I just feel sort of physically, spiritually and, and emotionally better. So uh, it's for that alone. It's it's worth every minute I spend with her and every dollar I spend with her. Mark, inspiration is a little bit different for me. But in fact, I've actually come up with a new definition of inspiration as it relates to me. And I have to thank Amanda Brooks, one of our regular participants on the Run Matters podcast, for my new view of inspiration. In the last episode, the motivation episode, Amanda talked about establishing habits versus establishing goals. And as I got to thinking about that, Establishing habits to me is something that is really more ingrained or is more long-term inspirational for me. And in fact, that's going to be one of the things we're going to talk about on episode three, the inspiration episode, is that Amanda has inspired me to get off the couch, get away from my computer in 2021, and I'm going to be her little project for Q1 of 2021. She has inspired me to start running and has given me a plan. And I'm looking forward to that inspiration helping get me going in 2021. So without, you know, any more hesitation, let's get to our our first segment and uh, run to the finish with Amanda Brooks. On your mark, get set, go. Let's run to the finish with Amanda Brooks. Time to get started with Amanda. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. How's it going out there in Colorado? What's the weather like out there, Amanda? We got a good snow today, so it was time to test out all that winter gear. Did you get out and run already today? I did. It was oddly like lighter at 5.30 because of the snow than it is a lot of days by 6.30, so decided just to go play. How far did you get? Today was about five miles. Amanda, when you take a winter run in the snow, do you go through a different preparation process before you step out the door or do you just gear up and go? Winter runs are a little different. There's A, a little bit of like mental stuff going on because you've got to convince yourself the cold won't be so bad. Um, but my warm up changes a little bit too. I'll actually do some things like jumping jacks or jump squats as part of like just being a little bit more warmed up and ready to immediately run when I get out the door. One of the things our audience would love to hear about is the concept of the easy run. Tell us a little bit about the easy run and the idea behind it 
And then also, does winter complicate things? Yeah, I love this topic because we get so tied into the pace on our watch and we think that pace determines whether or not the run was easy. But that's not really the case. Your heart rate, your body, your legs, like everything is actually telling you how the run feels. And we are just so tied to looking at that pace. So getting people to kind of detach from that I think once they start to see things like, oh, elite runners who might run a seven minute marathon actually run nine, nine and a half minutes on an easy run. And they understand there should be a huge gap between your race pace and your easy pace. They start to relax on themselves and they stop calling themselves slow and realize that we're going easy so that we can actually build up the miles without breaking down our body. I think that little piece alone is huge. Is there some sort of pattern that you follow? You know, easy run, tough run, timed run. I mean, what is there a pattern that you like to recommend? Yeah, definitely. Some of it depends on if you're a new runner, experienced runner, and also just how much recovery time you realize your body needs. But Matt Fitzgerald and the 80-20 principle, it's really hard to argue with. Um, So 80% of your runs really should be pretty easy. 20% of the time you're doing speed work or maybe it's a long run. So you're just testing yourself a little bit more. Amanda, you mentioned Matt Fitzgerald. For our audience who doesn't know who he is, Fill us in. So Matt Fitzgerald, I'd say he's like my idol in terms of being a running author. Um, He's got 8020 is actually the name of one of his books, um, but he's got so many top notch running books. They're a great place for anyone to kind of find a lot of information. Amanda, on an easy run, would you recommend somebody really to look at the temperature before they run outside? I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to be cold in Colorado in the winter. Winter runs definitely take that little bit of mental convincing, but almost always when you get out there, it feels good, partially because there's a number of studies that kind of say it feels about 20 degrees warmer than it is once we start running. So it's actually much harder to run in the summer. Hmm. The ideal race temperature is 45 degrees. Hmm. Um, So yeah, kind of, again, it goes back to me to like, if we have these little mental tricks, it's a lot easier. The notion of an easy run, do you plan like, hey, Tuesday and Thursday are going to be my easy days? Or do you kind of react to the elements uh, like we're talking about with temperature? Yeah, 100% on the schedule. I have planned out easy days, hard days. So usually for me, like Wednesday is speed work, Saturday is a long run. But I'm also flexible. So if it snows a crazy amount, and I just want to go out and enjoy like playing around in it and make it an easy day, then I will move things around. I think flexibility in your schedule is key. You just try to keep maybe a couple days between hard sessions. Amanda, you know, we've become inundated with all of this great technology that runners uh, now have available to them. You know, does all of this information make for an easy run or does it actually make it more complicated? Yeah, there's two things that I see happen a lot. One is that especially certain watches will now tell you things like detraining or unproductive runs. And it says that usually on an easy day, which is because it wants your you know, your progress to be linearly upward, but that's not how running works. Like it goes up and down. So yes, there's a mental block for a lot of people because their watch will tell them it wasn't good. You know, that's got to really F up your brain a little bit, but I can see how your watch, you know, can almost be that, you know, 
critical thing that could, you know, get you to feel bad about the easy run. Yes, I hear it a lot. Yeah, your running watch is like your meanest, worst running buddy. <laughs> It's funny. We're going to get in. I know um, in a future episode, we're going to talk about some running pet peeves and we're going to talk about some myths. And I'm, I'm sensing a, a link to one of those topics there, Mark, on uh, talking about the running watch. Definitely. That's my, my watch is my meanest running buddy I have. <laughs> we're calling episode number three, the inspiration episode. And we're calling it that for a number of reasons. We all need some inspiration. And I want to know from your perspective, as somebody that seems very upbeat and inspires others. How do you get inspiration? How do you get inspired? How do you keep inspiration? How do you prevent yourself from going the other way and losing inspiration? And then last, how can you inspire others? One of the things that my athletes hear me say a lot is that habits beat motivation. So we're never always going to be motivated just never. So instead, it's a little bit for me more about how can we create a habit? So I don't need you to run seven days a week. In fact, I really dislike it when most people do that. But if you can do something little every day, and all it has to start with is going for a walk or getting out your foam roller, that habit starts to take over. It happens in the background of your brain, and then you don't have to try to keep seeking out these other pieces. The second piece of that, though, in terms of inspiring others, what's amazing to me is that simply by showing up, you don't have to be fast. You don't have to be running the farthest distance. The fact that your neighbor looks out their window and you go by is enough to get someone else to think, gosh, you know what? I should really move a little bit. I've been sitting here all day. Man, it is nice outside. And that's, for me, what's sort of crazy is we think, oh, I can't inspire someone. I'm not an Olympic athlete. I'm not running that far. But that's not what it takes. It's you just showing up. Amanda, when you talk about inspiring others, you know, what are some of the ways that verbally you can help inspire others? Right now, I mean, inviting someone to take a walk with you instead of going out for a meal might be like, the first time they've thought about getting out for a walk in a while. Um, And it's a nice way to just get outside. So it does still, for me, a lot come down to action. But even verbally, it's the small things. So it's not like, hey, we should all run a marathon. It's, you know, let's go for a walk. Hey, you want to do this challenge with me where I try to, you know, cover 30 miles this month? You know, I'm someone that needs some inspiration, Amanda. I've... uh kind of been sitting here, you know, since the pandemic, I want to say March, um, I can probably count the number of times that I've done some serious exercise, maybe on both hands and, you know, I can maybe throw my toes in there also, but you know, it's not been a regular part of my routine. I really could use some inspiration. Send some words my way. Tell me what I can do to maybe inspire myself and that maybe in 2021, I can use this show as a way to try to inspire myself to change a little bit. I think this is going to be an excellent challenge to follow up with on episodes four, five, and six. So honestly, I love programs like the Couch to 5K. It's not overwhelming. It's not asking you to just stand up today and suddenly run. It starts with a run walk. It very much eases you into the process. And 
what I love for me is because you're continually making little progress. So there's always something to celebrate. Oh, this week I did just a little more than last week. Oh, hey, I could run just a little bit farther today than I did the last time. But you're never pushing it so far that you finish thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I know you have a running group. How many people are in your running group now, Amanda? We've got about 300 people in our virtual run club. Tell me a little bit about how you inspire them. I'd also love to be a part of one of those sessions or meetings or whatever you call them. Heck yes. Come join us. We've got a group on Facebook um, where I chat with everyone live weekly every Thursday. Um, They inspire each other to a large extent. So I actually had someone in the group this week who he's been part of the group for six months. And he said, honestly, it's been about three months since I've done anything. I feel really embarrassed and I'm almost not even sure where to start again. And I understand that. I think there's this weird feeling of shame about someone who used to be active that currently isn't. And so they just won't restart. And that's where I keep coming back to something like the couch to 5k. We have this idea of where we used to be. And so it's hard to get ourselves to start back at the beginning, but that's what I did after knee surgery. I didn't feel one bit of weirdness about it. I thought I'm moving forward and that's all I need. So getting there. Amanda, I I have to be honest and tell you that I am very ashamed of myself. I have used every stupid excuse in the book to avoid exercising. Everything from my back hurts, my knee hurts. Um, I don't want to get sweaty in the middle of the day and then have to take another shower or some cockamamie excuse. But literally, you are looking at somebody who's very ashamed of himself. I I mean, seven years ago, I lost 73 pounds. And it probably was the single biggest thing that I could ever do for myself and, and have a positive effect on myself. And I've let it totally get away from me. Yeah. it's And that's part of where I go back to that habit thing. So a thing in motion stays in motion. Once we get out of it, it is harder to get started again. And I think because we have expectations of what we used to do or how quickly we should be able to do things. And so just literally celebrating every single bit of progress I've found works so well. So it's, I walked for 10 minutes. Who cares? That's enough to celebrate because the day before you didn't. Amanda, you have inspired me. I think 2021 is going to be the year of inspiration. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, take you up on your challenge uh, to inspire me to get my ass you know, out of my chair, get my ass off the couch, get my ass from in front of the television and get out there, you know, whether it's every day or every other day or whatever the couch to 5k kind of regimen, you know, kind of dictates, I will get out there and then I will report back um, on episodes four, five, and six with uh, some of my results. How does that, does that sound fair? I'm excited to see how it goes. Uh, Neil, I think if that works, you will uh, you will inspire many people as well. As long as I inspire myself, Mark, that's really what's important. Amanda, how can our listeners find you on social media? Absolutely. You can find me as Run to the Finish pretty much everywhere. And the website is runtothefinish.com. I've been on there many times. There's a lot of fun and funny and uh, you know really good and, and, and inspirational posts that I think we could all use uh, 
you know, as we get closer to 2021. Amanda, thanks for coming on the Run Matters podcast powered by Skechers Performance. Thanks for having me. You know, Mark, I hope Amanda knows what she's getting into working with me. You know, there are two sayings that I uh, kind of loathe, and that is one, be careful what you wish for. And then number two, no good deed goes unpunished. And I hope this isn't uh, two of those specific examples. Mark, who's coming up next? The man who inspired the inspiration episode, Meb Klefeski. Uh, great backstory, how he treats people. And he's one of those people as well. When I talk to him, I just, I feel better about life. And now, a few minutes with Meb. Brought to you by Skechers Performance. Welcome back to the podcast. One of our favorite guests, Meb Klefeski. Meb, great to hear from you. It's great to be back. I want to ask you about the way that you seem to be really focused on team and family and understanding that it really takes, you know, to steal a line, it takes a village to really be successful. Where did you learn that? Is that something that was ingrained in you by your parents or was that something that you learned along the way? I am not sure who the first person to say it takes a village to raise a child, but I'm a product of that. Coming, growing up in a small country or small village in Eritrea, Everybody cares for each other. I mean, I do. As a kid, you see something do wrong. You don't have to be the parent to discipline because the wrong is always a wrong. And the parents of the other kids are grateful for that because you monitor each other, you care for each other, and that's what a running is. You know, the volunteers, the sponsors, the race organizers, the race directors, or partnership that you have, and that embraces everybody to be the best they can. So yes, my parents taught me that from early stage uh, as a little kid growing up without electricity, no running water, you got to help each other. And yes, my success, I might have won races or got silver medal and things like that. But behind my team, I think I was there at the, my New York City Marathon, my last marathon. I mean, that's my Zoom cover in a way because they have so many people behind me be from people cooking for you, people pacing for you. They just... Uh, coaching coach Bob Larson and I've been together for 23 years. I mean, that is longer than most marriages, you know, but it's all about trust and hard work and believing that we are together in this to make things happen. And I'm just grateful for the people that have contributed to my life positively. So Meb, uh, some of our listeners may not be familiar with your story. Can you talk a little bit about when you came here? And also, uh, you and I have known each other for a while. So I know your siblings, your parents did a heck of a job with you, but also with your siblings. Your siblings are also quite accomplished. Yeah, Mark, the, you know, we came here in 1987, the land of opportunity. And my dad has to walk before that 225, over, over 225 miles from Eritrea to Sudan to save his life from the war against Ethiopia. He didn't know he was going to make it. It took him seven days. I never done ultra marathon, but my dad has to survive. And he would sleep on a tree because there's no hotels he can book. He just got to mend in, uh, assimilate with the culture that are there, with the people that are there. But the biggest struggle that he was leaving behind was a wife and six kids. And he would wake up and have a nightmare in the middle of the night. But he would even sleep on the tree just because, you know, hyenas, scorpions, snakes, and all that um, soldiers that are there. So he would just cross his legs on a branch of tree, lean back, and then try to sleep. But that was difficult for, for him. But fortunately for us, he made it uh, safely. And when he saved, made it safely, he wanted to look after his kids and wife. And there's a lot of generous people in the in the world. And uh, you know, Dr. Brindici, who's his boss in Italy, uh, my dad asked him if he can loan him money to save his wife and kids. And he said, uh, how much do you need? And my dad told him, I need 10 million lire, which is 1986. That was about 6,000 US dollars. 
And and since that was to save everybody, Dr. Brinji said, just come back on Wednesday. And he said, here's the money, 10 million lira cash. And he said, this is not a loan, it's a gift. And that's, that's how we got saved. But coming to the United States, you know, it was an opportunity for us to work hard, to make our parents proud. And we knew that opportunities are not provided for everybody, including my uncles and cousins that were in Eritrea. So we were just driven to be the best we can. And you know about my story, but the American dream is that it gives opportunities to all my brothers and sisters, nine out of 10 that have gone and graduated college and done other masters or a higher degree. So hard work does pay off. And, you know, through perseverance, nothing is easy, nothing is handed to you, but through hard work and perseverance, great things can happen on the American. Matt, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your relationship with Skechers. We've spoken to Kurt Stockbridge, of course, their lead product developer. And I see you smiling, uh, you know, as we can see one another. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Skechers. How did that actually get started? Well, Skechers means a lot to me because it was at the time of 2011 when I didn't have a sponsorship and we approached the uh, Skechers and the Greenberg and Kurt Stockbridge kind of sat down and I told them, I said, hey, I, I have a personal best in me in the half marathon and full marathon. And uh, but they want to they would like to have me as an ambassador or as a, as a comp- representative for them. And I said, we are so glad to be on the team. I said, well, when I wear Skechers product, when my name is on the top of the list as the top marathoner in the United States, that's when I'm going to be content and to work with Kurt Stockbridge, it means a lot to me because we went back and forth on so many shoes. He would design them. I would give him feedback and he would send it back to product production. And I just must have like hundreds of shoes and give them back every, you know, he would make three models for me. One that is really hard or medium or softer. And I would say which one that would work for me and that would minimize it to two and then minimize it to one and which approach and all the way from the material to how stiff it has to be and most importantly, how comfortable the shoes must be because I got to wear it for 26.2 miles. But it was a partnership that, like no other, that has been with, with Skechers. So we've actually spoken to Kurt, and I think he told us that when you first uh, formed the relationship with Skechers, he basically had eight weeks to produce <laughs> a shoe for you to run to run Boston, I think, right? You know, I thought uh, getting ready for a marathon it was a hard thing, but he had a harder job than than them getting ready for a marathon because he got to get it. He got to get it right, and he was under a lot of pressure. But it's a teamwork. What we talked about, you know, I was re- very responsive after my tempos, which is faster than race pace or race pace and intervals. Hey, Kurt, this looks great, but we need to adjust this one. And yeah, he, you know, we signed on August first. I know by the time November, first week of November, I got, we got to fine tune it, but he had eight weeks or so probably to just get me into a shoe that is going to feel so good on, on my feet. We also spoke with Ed Cesarek, of course, another member of the Skechers team. But one of the things that Kurt did tell us was that what was important for you was different than what was important for Chez. And he said, what was important for you is that you really wanted the shoe, your foot to be locked into the shoe. Explain a little bit more about what, what that really means. I think having feel comfortable and for me to have a very narrow feet and for me to feel tight and grip around my feet is very important. You know, you don't want it too tight where you can't move, but to be able to just kind of like a, a racing sport, comfort and efficiency is important. And for me to, I relate that to Kurt and Kurt produced it magnificently. And it was, I was, she was only produced to me at one point, but eventually he went, 
to everybody available. But, you know, having to work with Kurt, it was just amazing. Mark and I are wearing our Go Ride 8s from uh, Skechers Performance. And I have to say they are incredibly comfortable. Uh, you know, shoes with Hyperburst. Are you running um, in shoes with uh, Hyperburst also, Meb? Absolutely. You know, uh, here's the new the 20th anniversary that they kind of have assembled. A this is what the Go Run starting with. And then you got the Razor 3 here that I usually use. And But the Go Ride is my everyday exercise. Go Ride 8 is... Uh, probably the most comfortable shoes that I worn. <laughs> I know I'm biased, but it, I mean it. It is a wonderful thing. And now that I run, you know, eight miles, seven miles a day, and it's, it's, it's just you've, you're, you're comfortable and agility is there and everything is just comfortable and you, like you're flying. Meb, I want to talk to you about your relationship with your fans. You know, I, I think that's something that anyone who knows you or anyone who's seen you in action say you really have a special connection with your fans. And I've seen you write incredible inscriptions in people's books at book signings. Tell us about your fans and, and your relationship with them. I met uh, somebody whom have met Pele. Pele was the first athlete that I ever heard of uh, from my dad's story. And Pele would say to the people, he would stop and greet people, especially in the hotels. And he says, I would be nothing without them. And that's a true fact because, yeah, we run the races, we win races, but connect with people is very important. And having come from a large family and or small village, that's what it is. I think it's a, one of my running talent, but also have Coach Bob Larson tell me when I was a freshman at UCLA, he goes, you have some special thing with people. And young kids, adults, or whatever. For me, it's I don't. It's natural. Uh, I don't even see I'm doing it. You know, it just happens, and I can't believe that people are waiting 45 minutes to an hour to meet and greet. And so I want to make that experience for them a positive experience. So thank God for social media. Social media goes to tell, hey, we met Meb. He is what we said he is, and even above and beyond that. Because when you do treat with people dignity and respect, and you make that genuine interaction people feel that and i feel blessed to be able to have done that and this morning you know i ran whether the running committee is a family so i met a lady named suzanne this couple two three weeks ago and he goes i want to you know my i want my husband to run we just moved from baltimore uh, a year ago and with COVID 19 i want to celebrate his birthday in a special way but you know we can't do it so is there any way he could run with you i said yeah, of course he can run with me. I love running with people. I love that. And she made an arrangement to say this morning and and, and meet him. I was a few minutes late because I dropped my kiss off at school. But he had no idea. He sees me all the time. We wave at each other and whatnot. And this morning he had no idea that was going to be me for him. I said, how far do you want to go? What pace do you want to go? And whatnot. And that's the one of things. No matter how fast or how slow we run, the common ground is the same. You want to get to the finish and you struggle, you're happy, you are delighted to be a camaraderie with other people. So for me to connect with my fans, or I call them more so supportive than fans, because fans kind of don't have the right connotation for it. But for me, they're my supporters, and I feel blessed to have them. Or there is Most of my fans, I support, I probably have met them at one point or another, whether it's first time, second time, or fifth time, but they're very loyal. Mark told an interesting story about at the running event, and it might have been a couple of years ago, where you were walking around the running event, which, of course, Mark is one of the founders of, and you grabbed his phone and you called his daughter Claire. To me, that says everything about a person and about an athlete, that it's really all about 
you know, the fans and it's all about the people that are a part of this whole process. You know, you have about maybe 30 seconds or so to make an impression on somebody, but that's genuine what it is. When Mark asked me to talk about Claire, I said, absolutely, let's make her a call and make her day. And whether it's happy birthday and, and others is to, you know, people ask me, can you, can you just call the running group of my thing, you know, my running club? And it's, it takes five seconds, 10 seconds. Hello, running club in Toronto or running club in Virginia. And it, but for them, it means the world to them. And I think approachability is important. I know another company was greatly interested in me just because of what it was happening at the lobby of a hotel where I stay. People gravitate toward you. You want to be able to say hello and handshake instead of being closed in your own room, watch a movie or play games. So for me, that's always been my personality. I, I love it personally because that is like passion, uh, just like running is. But I love people in my spare time. I love reading autobiographies, but I love interact with my family and friends. And that's the best way to pass time. So uh, two quick follow-ups on that story about Meb and my daughter. Um, number one, my daughter was in a pretty bad car accident last year. And one of the first people to reach out to her after the accident was Meb. The other was Keith Hernandez. So it's kind of funny that my daughter is in a car accident. And two, two famous athletes are reaching out to her within a day. I was in a car accident. The only two people who called me were the police and my insurance company. So there's the difference. <laughs> and and the, the, the uh, second part of that is, uh, and, and in fact, I, I told these guys about how my daughter is just crazy about you. I went into her room last night and uh, my daughter has pictures of two people in her room. One is a picture of you and she that was taken at the Sketches showroom a number of years ago. She still has that framed in her room and her brother. And uh, for the record, no pictures of me and no pictures of my wife. So I guess we we need to we need to keep working on that. You know, uh, Mark, that's very kind of me. I remember you shared with that with me that she had my picture uh, in her room. But that's what makes it special to be able to connect some people. You know, I had posters. I mean, I had like Prefontaine or Bear Rogers and things like that that you look up to that hopefully you'll you be inspired by them. And it's just an honor to say the least that people look up to you because I was a very, you know, you know my personality now, but when I didn't speak English, it was really difficult for me to express myself. And that's how I felt now people have sometimes, you know, they struggle to finish a marathon. They work hard. I used to get, my dad used to wake us up at 4.30 in the morning to learn English to the dictionary. So I do understand their pain where they, they get up early in the morning to be the heat or they have to get in before, run before work or squeeze it in after work. So I think that's where the mutual respect comes because anything and everything that we do takes a lot of work and patience and perseverance. And I, once I graduated from UCLA, that was a big shoulder off the, that finish line. So for me, their finish line might be 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles, whether it takes them four hours for a half marathon, five hours for a half marathon, or six, seven hours for a full marathon. You know, you got my hats off to you because I got mad respect for you. Hey, Meb, we're running out of time. Can we pick this conversation up on the next Run Matters podcast presented by Skechers Performance? Neil, thanks for having me. I would love to come back again. Well, Mark, we're in luck because Meb's going to be able to come back on the Run Matters podcast. In fact, in a future episodes, we are going to have Meb on with Kurt Stockbridge, lead product developer for Skechers Performance. So we're going to have the guy... And then we're going to have the guy behind the guy behind the guy. I am very much looking forward to that conversation. So building on the inspiration episode, we have a great conversation coming up with Colin Petty. 
For those of you who don't know him, Colin is the owner of Marathon Sports in Boston, and his store on Boylston Street is right at the finish line of the marathon. And in 2013, when the terrorist bombing took place, Colin and his team demonstrated great bravery, great humanity, and yes, an inspirational story. Let's talk shop. Run Matters, Retail Matters. Welcome to the Run Matters podcast, Colin Petty of Marathon Sports in Boston. Colin, great to have you on the show. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Colin, you have gone from rather humble beginnings up there in Boston to the point where you have 18 stores. What's your business philosophy that allows you to run those those 18 stores and, and provide similar levels of experience and customer experience in all those different stores? As a business owner, and like a lot of running store owners, I started out as a technician. I was a runner. I had injuries and I knew about running shoes, but I didn't really know how to run a business. I think one of the greatest influences I had was when I read E-Myth, which really broke down how to put together a business plan and, and look at structuring the business. And they were foundational aspects and it really resonated and allowed me to understand how things need to work to build a business. Um, you know, what is your marketing strategy? What is your um, personnel strategy? What is your technology strategy? And with that, I felt more comfortable taking the plunge and opening more stores. And we had to. Um, Cambridge was getting just too busy and the customer experiences was, was being eroded. And we kept opening subsequent stores and they kept getting busier and busier. So we expanded organically. Um, We've never really had to borrow money to expand. We just wanted to happen, have it happen naturally. And it wasn't forced. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful ride. Boston is such a unique market because there are so many colleges and universities that are within such a short kind of radius or even you know within the confines of the city. Do you think you've been able to really benefit from that? Absolutely. Uh, when If you're in a more rural area, it's hard to find qualified people to work for your company. In Boston, there's 65 institutions of higher learning within 20 miles of Boston and within Boston. So uh, we always have very motivated, um, qualified applicants to work in the stores. They speak the language of running. They come from similar backgrounds. Um, they believe in the opportunity and the possibility of running. So they're in line with our with our culture and what we stand for in the community. I know that you and Mark have a longstanding relationship. And Mark's mentioned something about something called CER, which I think is this internal philosophy that you'd like to kind of use. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's all about? We believe that our business will survive going forward as long as we understand how to continue making connections, creating experiences, and building relationships, um, both with our internal team and the runners and running community that visit our stores. For that to happen on the outside, it has to happen on the inside. We have to be able to be aligned in our thought process, in our vision, in our mission and purpose as a company. And with that understanding, we, we a couple of years ago, we went and redid all those factors that are very important. So it's all in alignment. You can see that we all speak the same language. Um, that was extremely important for us to, and moving forward. On the outside, um, and in today, we, we, have, we have that toolbox we call CER, but the tools which we use today are different than they were five years ago, even a year ago. 
from the virtual fitting um, that we do to any other mediums that, that are constantly evolving. Um, we have to adapt, but we also have to evolve. And we need to be where our customers want us to be, where, when, and how they want their services and product. Colin, when you think about running in Boston, obviously you think about the Boston Marathon. And some of our listeners who maybe have never been to your store don't realize that your your main store on Boylston Street is is right. How far are you from the finish line of Boston? I don't know. Uh, maybe 10 yards. Yeah, I was going to say 20, but it's probably more like 10 yards. 10 yards. Yeah. So can you talk about the role that that race plays in the Boston community and, and the role it plays in your business every year? Oh, it, it's fantastic. It's a reset every single year. There's so much excitement, really starting in September, October with the charities that are involved with the Boston Athletic Association, and there are many. And there's clinics, workshops, coaches to talk to, and it just, we're all gearing towards that great day in, in April. And it's just a buildup. It's tremendous excitement and it allows us to get through those fall and winter months which are so tough and uh, to see those runners out there when it's 10 below zero and you know they're it's their first time ever running a marathon it's on their bucket list so the excitement around that event is, is every day is just exceptional Colin, let's switch gears a little bit uh we have had meb on the show and when mark and i were talking to meb about the Boston Marathon and, of course, the uh, horrible terrorist attack that took place there, you know, Meb got very emotional. Yeah. And he really, you know, he really says every time he thinks about it, he cries. Can you share a little bit with with us about how you felt on that day and maybe some of the things? And, and I don't mean to maybe go in, you know, to anything that might be kind of difficult emotionally, but, you know, I'd love to hear about it. You know, that's, that's a good question. It is emotional for me as well. Um, I know exactly where I was when I was, when I heard about what happened. I was with my son down in Boston from maybe 8.30 to 12.30 and had left and promised him I'd go to Dick's Sporting Goods and to buy him a baseball glove. And we were in a gas station and, and I heard the news and my first instinct and reaction was to, to drive as fast as I could down to Boston. It's the first time that I've ever passed a police car with blue lights on, on the Mass Pike. I, I, you know, I hit triple digit speeds there. I pulled my truck on to Commonwealth Avenue on the green strip there, and there was my team. Um, so it was extremely emotional. I mean, Boston is uh, right there at the epicenter. It's our baby. Um, you know, it's our flagship store. I was so concerned about our staff and our manager down there. And that's the first thing that came to mind is, are they okay? And then the rest of the runner, runners and the runners community and the running community. And it was emotional. Um, it, it was very tough. I, I can tell you it was very tough. So you guys, you and your team were, were heroes that day. Uh, you helped some of the injured spectators and, and your store really became a, a triage center. It, it was. It was. And there were some heroes there. And, and, and Shane O'Hara, um, our, our Boston store manager at the time, was just incredible. What was interesting with that whole, I couldn't get into the store for three or four days after it happened. And finally a police officer let me into the store and it was just as it was when, when as they left it with all the carnage there. And it was quite something. And it, it allowed a lot of reflection and just how fortunate my I was with my son, but the rest of our team that we did not suffer any injuries. But the 
just the the mix of emotions was was overwhelming and that's what running does for us it helps us in mind body and spirit to overcome the challenges that uh, we have in life whether we're running from something or running to something there's so many different ways to to package running in a meaningful way that allows us to endure and get through the most difficult of times and the best of times. I think the country adopted Boston after uh, after the bombing and uh, Boston Strong, that expression, I think, became uh, uh, a rallying cry for so many people. And you have a story, I know, that uh, the Boston Red Sox went, became America's team and went on to win the World Series. And tell us about what happened with the Red Sox and the parade. And I, I know you got a special memento from them. Yeah, that was something special. The Red Sox organization called called me um, a couple of days before the parade. I, I recall, I think the Red Sox went from worst to first. Um, something like that. And it was the most miraculous comeback ever. And they wanted to present something to me at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. They didn't tell me what it was. There were uh, literally um, hundreds of thousands of people down there. They invited me into the center of Boston Street there. It was emotional. And I realized that the person that really should have been there was Shane O'Hara, my manager. I literally told the, um, the crew there that I won't stand out here without my manager by my side. And they halted things for about five minutes. I mean, the whole thing just stopped while I searched out for my manager. He is pretty shy. He came out there and it was amazing. And they handed us a, a Red Sox jersey oh, wow. for that special occasion and and for the winning the world championships. That jersey still hangs today uh, behind the cash wrap in Boston. When we get the green light and the pandemic has finally, the curve's been pushed down and you know, things seem a little bit more optimistic and a little brighter. What's the first thing Colin Petty's going to do when we're let loose from the situation? Well, we have staff that, and one of the most challenging things for our company is we have staff that are working remotely. We have staff that are working in the office here. We can't run our business in its traditional way. And it's very hard because a lot of it has to do with emotions. And if this is the, the challenge to any culture. You have really people working remotely because of, of how they feel about the pandemic. And then there's some that are more comfortable. And so you're treating your employees differently based on something that's very important and based on their emotional understanding of what's going on there. And it's not up to me to determine what that is or should be, but I have to live with it. So that being said, the first thing that I'm going to do as a company, what we're going to do is we're going to get everybody together. I miss my team incredibly i I've, i'm on zoom calls all day and um we haven't been able to have experiences together to go out for dinner grab a beer go for a run together do all those social things that we normally do and i think the the priority of our team really misses that so we're just gonna we're gonna have a big bash and we're gonna give ourselves a big group hug you know, it's funny. I thought you were going to answer the first thing you wanted to do is you wanted to go to a Red Sox game. No, that no, it's all about team here. And um, there's, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of world championships uh, in the last couple of years here. So uh, for us, it's about team and engagement and uh, getting reacquainted with each other and getting back to some sense of normalcy. Well, Colin, I want to thank you for coming on the Run Matters podcast powered by Skechers Performance today. Um, you know, you're up in that Boston area and Boston is just, 
you know, loaded with winners. And after our conversation with you today, it's very clear that Marathon Sports and their 18 stores are really poised to continue along with that winning tradition. We believe we are. We we uh, do what we can control and we understand what we can't. And it's that understanding that lets us go from the next day to the next week to the next month and hopefully into the spring with a good mindset and, and putting ourselves in a position to win. So, Colin, uh, I echo what Neil said. Really great to have you on the show. Appreciate your uh, your candor and your conversation. Give you a chance to plug your stores. You have Marathon Sports in Boston. Your stores in Connecticut are Sound Runner. Yes. And then up in New Hampshire, you own, what's the name of it? Runner's Alley. Runner's Alley in New Hampshire. So really uh, 18 of the best stores in New England. And uh, everyone who's out there listening, if you have a chance to go into these stores, I think you'll have a great experience. Well, thank you very much for having me today. It's very much appreciated. Mark and I really want to thank Colin Petty for coming on the Run Matters podcast. It really does build on our theme of inspiration. And if you want to get more of our conversation with Colin Petty, I suggest that you listen to the retail edition of the Run Matters podcast, where we'll have the entire conversation, as well as some behind the scenes conversation that Mark and I had with Colin. At the top of the show, we wished everyone a happy holiday. And I want to take that a little bit further. Again, Mark and I want to thank everyone that's been listening to the Run Matters podcast in 2020. Uh, Wish them a good and happy holiday and hopefully a better year in 2021. But I would be remiss without thanking the members of our team. Of course, Mark and I, co-hosts, as well as Ashley Barrett, who is our contact at Skechers Performance. I'd also like to mention Laura Beachy and Rachel Cochran, who work at uh, Beachy Media and our media partners. And then most of all, I want to thank Brad Maybe. Brad is our producer, and he really is the glue that holds the Run Matters podcast together. Neil, you're right. All those people make us, I'd normally say make us look good, but in this case, they make us sound good. And uh, I appreciate all their efforts. So coming up on episode four of the Run Matters podcast presented by Sketches Performance, we have a conversation with Kenny Sung from Gazelle Sports. Kenny is a super interesting guy who not only owns a terrific running store, but also owns a couple of restaurants in Michigan. So definitely look forward to that conversation. Amanda will be back and we will have an update on Amanda and her inspiring work with Neil. And then finally, a segment I'm really looking forward to and have been looking forward to since the uh, outset is we will talk with uh, Med Klefeski and Kurt Stockbridge from Sketches Performance about how an athlete and a shoe developer work together to build shoes. So let me end by saying to everyone, happy new year, healthy new year, peaceful new year. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Run Matters podcast, brought to you by Skechers Performance. Go like never before.